Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. Each week, we deliver informative health and wellness topics you want to know about, so be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. And if you have any questions about content discussed in this episode, ask them at AFSPA Live, our live Q&A session streaming every last Thursday of the month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on youtube.com slash AFSPACares. Now here's your host, Chief Operating Officer, Kyle Longton. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. I'm Kyle Longton, and along with me, back with us um, after a couple episodes, is Maddie Norton. Maddie, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Well, hey, you, you're the one who makes the magic happen in the background and making sure that people hear this. So it's not <laughs> exactly. just me talking to, to myself. <laughs> um, speaking of not just talking to ourselves, we've got a lot of, of uh, events coming up for members over the next month. Um, this episode should be reaching members on, correct me if I'm wrong, October 30th. That's correct. That is okay. correct. And so I just want to flag for our members, particularly those who are 65 and older, that on October 31st, so the day after this podcast comes out at 12 noon Eastern time, we will have a live webinar that's focused on our new Medicare uh, Part D, as in uh, drugs, our, pa- uh, our prescription drug plan, the Medicare Part D prescription drug plan that we are, are launching in January of this year with auto enrollment for our stateside members age 65 and older. So um, please be on the lookout for that. Matt, we also have a lot of other things coming up um, season, I think. Yes, the events calendar has have all that information on there now. It does. And our open season page is live aspa.org slash open season, I believe is what it is. And you can find our updated brochures, um, all the events that is going on. Kyle is doing lots of web webinars for our members and at all different times as well. So that if you're in Japan, you can catch one during the day or um, wherever you are. Yeah, that, that's our goal is to provide some options for people all around the world. We are having teams out traveling um, and and to look for that information from local sources. Um, i tell you, we've got, I'm in the UK this week. We've got teams going to Germany, uh, Paris, Brussels, Italy, Japan, and Korea. Um, we're not, I, I don't want to share all of those dates just in case things change for specific locations, but check locally with your HR or union representative. Um, to find out when we might be in your area. And again, look for that, that information on the website Maddie shared. Um, and I also want to encourage people um, to look at your options early and make changes early when open season starts November 13th, goes through December 11th. But there is, you know, we, we are um, looking at the possible um, disruption with a possible government shutdown on November 17th, and that may not affect a lot of our members who may be considered essential and have to continue working, but it may affect some of those people in your HR offices or the payroll offices. And so you're looking at making a change, get the paperwork started early. Hopefully this warning makes no sense three weeks from now, Yeah. but uh, but I just, I want to put it out just in case and, and to encourage people to think about it. Um, so, you know, Man, we have a busy schedule. We, we've done a number of podcasts this month. We've got a busy schedule, sort of focus on open season for like the next six weeks. Um, but I, you know, I don't want us to ignore our health by just talking about benefits and changes and things like that. And we talk about our health that includes mental health. Um, we had World Mental Health Day on October 10th. Every year, that's the, the date. So we're a little bit behind in getting this, this episode focused on a mental health topic, behavioral health topic out to people. 
we also don't want to ignore, again, health or the trends that we're seeing in this space. So we've been seeing increases in diagnoses and prescriptions for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. And we've got a guest with us today. But before we get to that, Maddie, you've offered, you, you've mentioned in a previous ASPA Live about your own um, diagnosis and experience with this. And, and I wonder if you, you, you've expressed that you're willing to share a little bit about that um, now at the top of the episode. So I just want to open it up to, to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Um, so I am lucky enough. I was born um, in a family with two teachers as my parents. So, uh, you know, when I turned um, six and I started going to kindergarten, my mom kind of started noticing like these might be symptoms of ADHD or these might be behaviors. Um, and so I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of six and um, my mom is great. And she kind of enrolled me in um, some therapy just to see if there's any behaviors that uh, we could correct or, you know, start to um, adjust. And then I was also started on medication. Um, and I do believe that if I hadn't gotten um, started on that, I think that my life would have been very different. Uh, ADHD presents differently in everyone who has it or things like that. So like my ADHD really uh, presents in um, the ways of like being a lack of motivation. Um, I love to talk. Uh, so a lot of times I was called out for being, for talking in class when I wasn't supposed to. Um, but then it also doesn't present in the most normal ways that people may think. Like I'm very organized. I um, have a great handle on time management most times. Um, but then there are also days where the time flies by me or I'll get sucked into a video game or, um, these days it's TikTok. Um, <laughs> and you know, yes. yeah, very easy, very easy. And a lot of times, um, especially in girls, it is hard to diagnose ADHD because it doesn't seem typical. So I might not be, um, I might not present as, you know, bouncing off the walls or fidgeting or things like that, but it presents in other ways. Um, and I think that because I was able to get help so soon that I was able to learn skills that helped with, you know, my organization, you know, my time management, I am able to do so many other things that when I don't take my medicine or I don't like have therapy or anything, I definitely notice. Um, and I definitely think that, uh, Brightline is such a great resource in that case, um, I am still learning at the age of 26 um, so many things about ADHD and just so many um, research has come out and so much information is out there to learn and especially empathize uh, with others. I was lucky enough to have a great family um, who understood and made sure to understand like why I was acting this way or why I was doing this. Um, but at the same time, uh, like my sister was diagnosed with ADHD at age 19 um, and then my mom was also diagnosed, um, I believe when she turned like 50. So like, it is something that doesn't, um, you know, there is no like correct time span or age to be diagnosed. Like it is something that does happen throughout your life. Um, and there's all kinds of treatments and thankfully we live in a day and age where there's education out there and, um, it is always good to just, you know, empathize with people and understand that, um, ADHD may have, it does have to do with your mental health, but that doesn't mean that it's something negative. Um, and I definitely have learned to embrace my ADHD as I've grown up. And now it's like a little fun fact about me, I feel like. Well, I, I 
thank you very much. Thank you for sharing that. I I am delighted to, to hear like there's there's more than a few years that separate us in terms of age and and uh, you know we we were just talking about this separately. But like when I was when I was uh, um, of an age where one might be diagnosed, sort of elementary mm-hmm. school, where I saw friends diagnosed, like the the solution was just write a prescription, put them yep. on a drug, and no other intervention. So I'm glad to hear we'll hear from from our guests today about sort of other the ways in which it's evolved but to even just hear you know the 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 services you were able to access at at such a young age um and how it came together with other other treatments to to really provide to make you who you are today yes Um, exactly we're delighted to to have that person as part of the after team (laughs) on the podcast so um many i appreciate you you sharing that with us Mm -hmm. i hope you'll stick around for the interview and Mm -hmm. um you know please jump in because i'm have a lot to lot, lot to offer in this conversation. I'm learning a lot um, in yeah. the interview today um, and from you. So um, please jump in because I'm sure I will miss some things. Um, but I, I do want to introduce our guests for today. Um, AJ Harris is a health coach at Brightline. In past roles, AJ has focused on family intervention and treatment models and has directly provided care to caregivers and children alike. AJ has a master's in psychology with a focus on child development and cognitive neuroscience. AJ has spent a lot of his career researching, creating content, and providing intervention for children with ADHD, and we're, we're glad to have him with us today. AJ, welcome to Aspa Talks. Hello, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're, we're so glad to have you here and, and to be with us sort of at the end of October, which is um, you know Mental Health Awareness Month, and and we've I'm sorry included mental health. Let me start again. I apologize. No worries. And it's not May. It's not May. It's I know. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. AJ, welcome to Aspa Talks. Hello. Thank you for having me. We're we're so delighted that you could be with us. And and you know earlier this month um, was World Mental Health Day, so we're we're catching up a little bit. But we're also using this opportunity to, to talk a little bit of a topic that we've heard a lot from members, um, and we are also seeing a lot in some of the, the, the reports we get for our, our health plan, for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan, which is ADHD. And so for me, and also for maybe many of our listeners, I'd like to start off with some of the basics, um, starting with just what is ADHD? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Well, I think it's a very important question. You know, ADHD is um, one of the most common neurodevelopmental disorders, um, I would say. You know, I think there's a lot of, uh, we could say, conventional wisdom around ADHD, the evolution of it throughout the years. And, um, you know, there's some misunderstanding around. So I'm happy to share a little overview of, of what it is and, you know, my, my take on it, my experience with it as well. Um, I'd say one of the most important components to understanding ADHD is understanding the extent in which it impairs or affects an individual, right? So we're looking at things like social components, uh, emotional components, cognitive functioning, um, really, you know, the the overall impact that it has on outcomes of situations and circumstances. Also, the very settings that it can impact, I think, is where, you know, we see um, just a lot of substantial evidence around school, at home, uh, sports practices, just all these different settings, right? Um one of the most important distinction, I think this is what I make a lot with my members, you know, those that I'm working with with ADHD, is the key differences between what is a symptom and what is a behavior, right? Um, I like to think of behaviors as what is objective, what can we see, what is occurring, um, and symptoms, obviously, you know, this is more of the clinical side or um, the diagnostic side of it. So various symptoms, I think, associated with ADHD, you think of things like hyperactivity, um, hyperfocusing, uh, impulsivity. Uh, struggles with task management, task orientation, 
organizational skills and then you know the all-encompassing executive functioning right um behaviors more so are like not listening in school right or um engaging with somebody instead of doing what we're supposed to be doing or hyper focusing on things uh forgetting fidgeting excess body movement um, all of these are more of the behavior side so when i'm working with members i like to really differentiate between the two because we can get very stuck in one camp or the other right between a symptom or what is a behavior um and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the approach that we take within coaching as we focus on behavior versus like that clinical approach where we're looking more at how to treat these symptoms and, and understanding different treatment models. Um, really, I think a, another important component to understanding ADHD is looking at uh, the role in the involvement of dopamine, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar. Uh, but dopamine is a neurotransmitter very commonly associated with like the feel good neurotransmitter of the brain, right? Uh, it helps to move and facilitate a lot of um we look at motor movement. Um, we also look at reward, right? Reward and motivation. Um, a lot of recent evidence and research that is looking at this role of dopamine, uh, just on the the role of these attentional concerns. Um, you know, I think dopamine is again referred to as that feel good chemical, but it's it's the way that we're rewarded for things that we do, right? And the levels of dopamine can directly relate to that level of motivation, reward, engagement. Um, you know, how we're engaging in a task. Um, obviously I work with children. So, so the common example that I always think about, um, from parents or caregivers, you know, video games, they can sit all day and play video games, right? No distraction. They're very zoned into it versus like when we have to do homework and separate, it can be really difficult. That's dopamine, right? It's the motivations, the engagement that we're feeling. So I think, you know, developmentally, we see a lot of those concerns just throughout various developmental stages and, um, age ranges, but it's pretty common when we think of motivation. I would probably rather play video games than do homework often, but it's also how we separate and how dopamine can really affect that and, and you know, input that. So brief overview of it. I, you know, ADHD is one of those things we could talk about uh, a high level overview, a low level overview all day long, because there's so much, okay. there's so many components to it, but hope that helps to kind of simplify a bit. It does. Absolutely. And, and I guess that, that leads to my next question, which is sort of how common, what is the prevalence of ADHD? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very prevalent. And also, I would say very common. The last statistic I saw was from the CDC. I believe it was over 9% of children in the United States um, being diagnosed and treated for ADHD. Um, and that's that's an important thing to think about, too, is the diagnosis component and the treatment component. You know, how many are undiagnosed or even misdiagnosed is, is an important consideration to make. Um, also noting that there's some surveys as a part of the, you know, the research and evidence around uh, the statistics that um, boys are much more likely to be diagnosed and treated than girls. Um, and, you know, I think the figure is somewhere around 16% uh, of boys uh, in the United States who are, or children that are diagnosed are, are boys in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's an important factor, an important thing to consider. Um, but, you know, we look at also the criteria for a diagnosis. I think that varies um, no matter where we are, regionally, state to state. Um, the diagnostic criteria definitely uh, is different and varies, which I think, you know, this is, this is a bit of a struggle with ADHD, um, that there aren't as clear of guidelines or diagnostic criteria. Um, you know, obviously we have certain components of a diagnosis that we look at, but you, you, I think it's an important consideration to make for the future is how can we narrow this and find, um, you know, better criteria to be able to look at. Um, and, you know, I think, again, something to reiterate, you know, just thinking about the commonality of ADHD. Like I said before, we all struggle with some associated behaviors with attention, right? I think naturally as humans, 
Um, again, we we follow dopamine. We we fixate on things that make us feel good and that motivate us and drive us. Um, so think about the prevalence of ADHD, especially when we think of development children who are younger, six, seven, eight. When we start to see these concerns of like, are they paying attention? Are they invested? We have to factor in the natural occurrence of dopamine and the way that we are motivated by tasks. Um, so I think the diagnosis itself is is rather common. Attentional concern itself, very, very significant, very common in humans. Okay. Well, and I, I think you just just touched on sort of what, what my next question was, which is the when do when do people and I, I may use the wrong word here when if you start demonstrating behaviors that that uh, I was going to say symptoms, but I think behaviors may be the the better term here that are associated with ADHD and a diagnosis of that or or may lead to looking at that. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's an important question. It's a difficult question, right? Because I think kind of just like what I overviewed, um, you know, I think children start showing signs, symptoms, behaviors uh, pretty early. You know, I think we'll recognize that maybe even around age three, four. Um, again, when we look at that developmental timeline, um, you know, certain stages of development, it's going to be natural to see attentional concerns in children in early development, um, even in later development, right? Again, the role of dopamine. I think that's why I wanted to introduce that concept a bit early because uh, dopamine is a, it's a huge factor. Um, so it's natural. It's very common for a developing brain to struggle with some of these. So that's where it gets difficult with like the diagnosis or um, understanding how do we start or when do we start intervening and receiving treatment? Uh, because if this is a common thing that is occurring, at what point do we wait, right? So I would say like the most common, the, the biggest concern that we can see with symptoms um, would be like ongoing persistent struggles, right? And managing certain things. And also, like I said before, across settings, uh, if we see attentional concerns at school, at home, um, you know, on the playground, if we see them all over the place, we're going to be more concerned and we're going to start to, uh, you know, weigh our options when it comes to intervention or treatment. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's an important consideration. If we only see attentional concerns at school, I think it's important to understand why. Uh, look at the motivation for the child behind that. Um, is it a class, right? Is it math class? For myself, it was always math class, right? Like I could sit in um, science, history, thrive. Get into math class is very difficult for me to maintain focus and attention. You know, it, it's a numbers thing. So um, I think a lot of people, a lot of children have that experience as well. So it's 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 good to factor and understand all things. Um, the three core symptoms or the three core behaviors as well, inattention, impulsivity, uh, and hyperactivity, right? Um, we're looking at, again, across the board, the multi-systemic uh, effect that this has really on ADHD. Uh, I think ADHD naturally will extend into adulthood as well. Um, you know, if we don't receive early intervention or early treatment for it, uh, there's a really cool thing, and I'm sure we'll talk more and more about this, but when it comes to intervention and treatment, you know, we think about rewiring the brain. A lot of neuroscience tells us neuroplasticity, meaning the brain is adaptable, the brain can change. Uh, specifically, and, and more importantly, when we're much younger, when we're early in development, um, our brains are way more susceptible to changing. So it's good to have that intervention at that time because it's going to be a lot easier. Um, I love the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's kind of kind of this kind of true for humans as well. Um, not necessarily true, but, you know, in the same sense. Uh, so, you know, when if, if it develops into adulthood, if it's not caught when we're children, if we're not treated as a child, it's going to be, you know, we can definitely find systems and we can um, receive treatment into adulthood. But it's going to be a little bit more difficult than it would have been if we received that treatment when we're much younger. Um, but yeah, we'll, I, I think it's becoming more and more common too, as again, the diagnostic criteria, criteria changes, but a lot of adults being diagnosed with ADHD as well. Yeah. Um, there's a, uh, there's a physician, one of my favorite humans on this planet, Dr. Gavin Mate, 
Um, he's a really wonderful physician. He's He works in a lot of areas of child development, trauma, ADHD, um, but he was actually diagnosed uh, with ADHD as an adult. He has a book um, on it called Scattered Minds. Uh, it's really, really a wonderful read. Um, but he talks about you know his success in life. Um, and then he gets to be, I think he was in his fifties or sixties and he's like, wait, I have ADHD. And, you know, he gets this diagnosis. He's like, what would my life have been? You know, what would the yeah. shifts and changes have been? And, uh, so it's really, he also has a podcast and he's, uh, featured on a lot of podcasts. So I would encourage anyone to look into his work, really wonderful human. Um, but it really puts it into perspective, right. Of, you know, he's this highly esteemed and achieved physician who has done all these wonderful things. And then he had this kind of coming to terms of like, wait, I had ADHD this whole time. Um, so I think it speaks a lot about, you know, what ADHD is and how we can manage, but how can we thrive in the same sense as well? You know, how can we kind of change and uh, receive that early intervention to, you know, maybe thrive more? So it's yeah. it's kind of undetermined, but yeah. And I think that's so important to, to talk about the, the growing number of, of adult diagnoses, because I think there is also um, child of the 80s and 90s here. Um, you know, there was a perception I remember when I was growing up that like, oh, they'll grow out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so we'll just wait it out. Um, and that turns out not to be the case. Um, yeah. and so we're finding people who didn't have the early intervention. So we're seeing more diagnoses in adulthood when, when, from what I'm hearing from you, it's a bit more difficult to, to manage, um, and, and, and to, to have as successful intervention. Um, it can take a bit more time. So I think that's so important, um, for, for people to know that like, it's also, I'm glad we're talking about this because I think at least when I was growing up. There was some stigma around this this diagnosis. Or sometimes there were jokes around it. Um, oh, that person must have. At that time, we were saying ADD um, mm -hmm. hadn't hadn't weren't, weren't properly using the H yet. But like to remove that, like this is a this is a diagnosis. It may vary a bit from state to state, and then treatment's going to look different for for various people. And you touched on some of this, but I'm wondering if you can. You were specifically talking about children today. That's your your area of expertise. Um, what does treatment look like for children? Um, who, and it may be different for everybody. What, I guess, what are some of the commonalities? Yeah, definitely. And, um, it just kind of follows right into this conversation too, when it comes to treatment. So I'll, I'll touch on this, but, uh, I think there's a really important understanding. And I've, I've heard this explained, um, through, you know, various physicians, neuroscientists and experts in the field as well. So I like to kind of iterate that from them. Um, you know, there's, there's, various types of treatment that we can look at. Uh, and largely it depends on the diagnosis, depends on the severity, um, the impact, right? Um, so as far as intervention strategies, treatment, um, I would say, again, you know, we look at the the disruption, right? The, the personal preference. There's so many factors again. Um, psychoeducation, standard, I'm a coach, right? So psychoeducation is my like fundamental, you know, it's my, it's my truth. That's what I truly believe in is that we can all increase our self-awareness by understanding more about how we operate and how we work as individuals, um, you know, emotional intelligence, um, social emotional skills. Uh, all of these things are so, so important in understanding mental processes and how we view ourselves too. self-esteem being a very big component of this. Um, I work with a lot of children within coaching and, um, you know, parents will come to me, hey, we have this diagnosis of ADHD, we, you know, we're receiving medication, but that's that's the extent of it. So I immediately I'm like, well, let's let's start with self-esteem. Let's understand how we view ourselves, how we respect ourselves. Um, if we lose attention in class, how do we gently return that attention without self-judgment to be able to more effectively um, learn how to maintain and, and focus on attention? Um, so that's that's a really that's my that's my beginning stages. Right. Um, and then looking at again. I think varying with the symptoms um, and looking more so at, you know, what, what, where is the particular area of impact? 
Um, skills training being very important, uh, another dynamic of coaching. Um, so skills training, organizational skills, time management, um, attentional training. Um, there's so much cool, uh, so many cool things around concentration grids and um, inattentional blindness. And, you know, there's there's so much research and so many cool things to, to check out and try in that regard. Um, mindfulness, again, my coaching hat coming out, but mindfulness, being present minded, um, using all of our senses to be aware of where we are rooted in where we are and, you know, make more informed decisions about that. Um, but yeah, the, all the skills, I think, being very important. Uh, and then, of course, medication intervention, right? I think uh, this is what, um, again, falling back to that conventional approach, I think medication intervention is, um, it's a hot topic, right? When it comes to children, um, stimulants for children. Um, I think, you know, the medications are very, very effective. And this is something I'm uh, I'm very motivated to, to get out there and talk about because I think the stigma around that um, can be, you know, it's, you're in a camp or another, right? It's it's hard to determine and it's, it's hard to conceptualize giving a child a stimulant. Um, there's very... Uh, extensive levels of research and extensive levels of evidence indicating the efficacy of stimulants. Mm -hmm. um, I think a way I like to explain it, uh, and this is also what I think is very important about the levels of intervention is, you know, how families come in, um, they'll have an ADHD diagnosis for their child, receive medication intervention, and there's no pamphlet that comes along with an ADHD diagnosis, right? There's no true understanding. Um, a lot of physicians and doctors, family doctors, uh, they may not fully understand the diagnosis, right? I think we generally get a good sense of it, but knowing, you know, the impact, uh, it, it's it's very important to know. And I think that's what I always try to provide within coaching is a lot of extensive education. Um, it helps. It's really helpful, again, with that self-awareness piece. Um, medication is very effective in the way that it uh, it shows our brain how we should be working, right? How we should be functioning in a very effective way. Um, I always get parents say, like, why give him a stimulant when he's very active already, right? I'm like, this is an important question. <laughs> it's, it's very hard to conceptualize. But then when we break it down and we think about it, you know, this, how the brain factors into this, um, you know, largely, again, dopamine playing a very important role in ADHD. But we think about like our prefrontal cortex, right? This is where a lot of regulation happens. Um, I like to think of it as like the funnel of the brain, right? A lot of information comes through that area and we have to kind of designate, put it in other places. Um, so if you imagine you have a very small funnel and you try to put a bunch of information down, it's going to overflow and it's going to spill into these other areas. Um, another thought around it is uh, areas in the prefrontal cortex that deal with that modulation, which would, you know, being able to modulate um, neurotransmitters, information within the brain, um, it can be dormant, right? And that's why we use something to stimulate, to activate it. If we have a dormant area of the brain, it's less active than it should be let's give it a stimulant, let's activate it and let it do the work that it needs to do. So sort of like this filtering system that we have to wake up sometimes. Um, so that's, that's an important, you know, stimulant is to activate. Um, I also, there's uh, Dr. Um, Andrew Huberman, he, he has a podcast, Huberman Lab, and he talks a lot about um, a lot of children with ADHD are going to crave things like sugars and things that make them feel more active because they're naturally fulfilling that need within their brain, right? Um, even some adults, I've, I've talked to a lot of adults with ADHD, um, and it's like, man, caffeine makes me tired. I can drink it before bed. <laughs> I'm like, that is that is so funny because, you know, it's your brain naturally fulfilling. It's like, I feel regulated when I drink coffee and when I, you know, fulfill that need. So I think that's an important consideration, um, you know, just this, the way that it's filtered. So again, I hope that can provide some insight to those maybe even struggling with that idea of a stimulant for a child because, you know, when it when it comes to it, we're simply awakening, you know, this area of the brain to make it more functional rather than like overstimulating an area, which is the common belief sometimes. Um, again, I'll fall back to education, right? Becoming more aware. 
I think no matter the treatment or the style of intervention that you know somebody may choose, education is going to be one of the most effective ways to increase self-awareness. Um, it's truly fundamental across all treatment methods to be able to have that education as a you know main component to it. And, and that's incredible information because I think that the particular questions around why would you take stimulant um, is a question that comes up for a lot of people who are either directly affected or indirectly affected or just just on the outside going, huh, how, how does this work? Um, and I appreciate having that information. And I also appreciate, you know, one of the big things we, we try to do here at Astro with a number of our programs is make sure that there's some sort of human connection, whether it's through a coaching program or something like that. And I think you, you've highlighted several times, but I'm going to ask you to bring it together about like what can Brightline do to help our members? And, and I'll just also make a quick note that, that this is available to our members in the United States only at this time. But there's a lot that, that I mean, we heard it from you, but there's a lot that I know that you and your colleagues at, at Brightline Health can do to help not only the a child who's, who's um, been diagnosed with ADHD, but also their parents, maybe even siblings and others in their life who, who may be indirectly affected by this. Um, so I just I wonder if you can walk us through a little bit about the, the support that Brightline can offer. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, you know, I, I appreciate like the opportunity to kind of summarize that into um, how, how you know, Brightline can handle and, and manage. Um, you know, I specifically am a coach at Brightline. We do offer both coaching and therapy. So talking more in like a coaching sense, but obviously, you know, I think naturally um, therapy is going to be a very, very effective strategy. And uh, I'll touch on that a bit. Uh, but within coaching, we we offer uh, kind of like I, I discussed before, two core components, um, I would say, being psychoeducation, again, learning and instilling self-awareness um, and then skill building. So addressing day to day type of behaviors and concerns. Right. Um, if every day I go into this class and I have the same struggle, why don't we do something different? Right. Why don't we try and adjust small things, troubleshoot that set goals around it? That's really the coaching approach. Right. Um, how can we facilitate healthy growth and ensure that progress is being made? Um, therapy is going to take a very similar approach, right? I think therapy is going to be a more in-depth approach to what the diagnosis is, right? Um, so diving deeper into the nature of concerns. Um, therapy is always going to be an intervention-based model as well. So uh, at Brightline, we use cognitive behavioral therapy models. Um, and this looks like treating clinical concerns, right? So we're providing treatment. Um, we also do medication management through our therapy programs as well. Um, so we're able to provide that ongoing medication management, make adjustments, hold meetings with our um, psychiatrists to be able to adjust and, and um, also provide that education. I think that's something um, I might be biased, but I think Brightline does that very well, um, where we work to provide so much education that has has been missing uh, in, in past models. Um, but within coaching, you know, uh, for those that aren't quite familiar with coaching, um, you know, I we work one on one with children. We work one on one with caregivers. Um, on the education and skill building components. Um, this looks like implementing new systems at home, uh, new strategies within affected settings, uh, and, you know, learning how to best support yourself and also how to best support your family. Um, you know, from a caregiver perspective, um, like you shared, you know, we can have, we can have a child that is diagnosed with ADHD and then siblings, um, who can be affected, you know, by the various settings and the various struggle, getting out the door for school or, you know, helping with chores and different task management. Um, so I think education is equally as important for the whole family and, um, you know, empathy being a very important component to that, too. How can we learn to be able to be more empathetic for those um, that might be struggling, too? Um, you know, I think the ongoing support for caregivers, I find to be really important. Like I said before, there's no pamphlet that we get when, you know, we get this diagnosis. So I think being able to almost write our own pamphlet and, and specify this for our child in particular, uh, I think is is really, really important. Um, and you, 
Brightline itself, you know, we offer uh, all pediatric related mental health concerns too. So, you know, I think separate from uh, from ADHD, we offer and, and provide support for all of the various, you know, other concerns and concerns and even associations. I think a very, very important thing to highlight as well, um, and something that I kind of mentioned earlier, um, y- you don't need an ADHD diagnosis to be able to receive support for attentional concerns too. Um, this is another, uh, I would say, missing component uh, to just mental health treatment, and, and uh, specifically that I know of the United States, right? We're we're very uh, stigmatized that we need this diagnosis, and I even think about school settings, right? IEPs and 504 plans receiving additional support. Often, you need a diagnosis to be able to get that extended support, and some children aren't going to meet the criteria for a diagnosis because of that, you know, delay. There's there's not necessarily this effect at school, but there could be this effect specifically in math, you know. So so we want to explore that. Um, and really better understand um, the influence and the impact there. So, um, but yeah, I, I think as as uh, Brightline stands, um, you know, we have this tier system. We have Connect uh, being like our virtual uh, platform, right? So this is where um, caregivers uh, can create an account, sign into their account. They have collections, resources, articles, um, research, all the things that we've collected uh, to be able to support. This is all free of charge along with the coach chat. Um, so, you know, you can have a chat directly with, you know, a coach like myself, um, be able to explore, learn, get tips and tricks, things that we can try. And this is all free um, to be able to pursue coaching. We, we sign up. Right. Um, we go through steps and stages uh, looking at um, there's paperwork to complete various surveys, questionnaires and such. Um, and by the end of that, you're prompted to schedule with a coach or schedule with a therapist, whichever we feel like is, is better placed. Um, so, you know, in order to receive that. Um, we have to go through that sort of processor system. But again, the the coach chat, there are collections, articles, resources. Those are all free of charge to anybody to sign up. That's great. That's great. And and I think it's just also worth noting uh, or emphasizing again, I should say that that while we're talking specifically about um, ADHD today, that is not the only um, you know the only diagnosis, the only area in which Brightline can offer support. We've done webinars before. Um, uh, uh, in various areas is intended for support for children and parents who are supporting their children in these needs. So um, I think, and, and at those three levels of care, the, the the connect, the coach and the care levels, I think are available across that after these um, intakes. So, um, and it's, and, and as noted before, it is available nationwide in the U S um, not, not accessible for our over numbers at this time, but AJ, before we wrap today, is, is there anything more that you'd like to add or anything that we missed in our discussion? Um, no, I mean, I really appreciate you all for having me on today. Um, I think just, again, highlighting uh, the importance of mental health support, right? I think um, any any child, any caregiver can reach out to get that support, you know, no matter what the type of care that you're looking for. Um, I, it's just so important for children to have space to be able to learn, advocate for themselves. Um, and truthfully, even just spending time being mindful, sitting down. I was just having this conversation um, yesterday with, with an eight-year-old, uh, which I think is hilarious. It's like how, before we started meeting, how often did you sit and, you know, think about your emotions and think about how your day was in a positive way? It's like, oh, never, you know, I never do this. Um, so I think naturally that's going to have some reward. It's going to have some effect to be able to have space, to be mindful and be aware of yourself. Um, and, you know, I think ADHD in particular, it's something that's just largely been misunderstood for a while. So, um, similar to many mental health concerns, to be honest with you, right? I think, um, just across the board, things have been misconstrued and, um, so I would encourage anyone to, you know, continue to stay informed, um, you know, reach out for support, no matter the severity or need, uh, someone's always going to be willing and available to support you and help you, no matter the concern. 
Uh, and I have one last question I'd love to ask. Um, yeah. You know, you were talking about the importance of mental health and the importance of, uh, you know, reaching out for help. And I would love to hear what you would say specifically to parents or caregivers um, or even maybe children or teens who are thinking like, do I have ADHD or like, does my child have ADHD? Or maybe like a teacher reached out and said, hey, so-and-so is showing signs of this. And, you know, they might feel that stigma that Kyle was talking about earlier about like a lot of people will say, well, like my kid isn't hyperactive. Like he keeps to himself or he does this. What do you, what would you say to parents who are nervous about the stigma that could be created if they do get their child, like they do, their child does have ADHD and they, you know, treat them to therapy. Like, what would you say to those parents who are kind of hesitant when it comes to, um, you know, getting the help their child may need due to the stigma around it? Yeah, definitely. This is such an important topic and um, it's definitely, it's so relevant. Something that I feel like I have conversations I have very often. Um, my my first thought to that is, um, you know, let's look at the long term, right? Like, like just kind of like what I explained earlier. What is the long term benefit of getting support now? Um, and that is, you know, being able to thrive in any capacity, any stage of life. I think receiving that early intervention, um, even just receiving the education, um, I think uh, very cool thing and something I love about virtual care is it's very discreet, right? If if the stigma is uh, there and it's something that you know naturally you would like to avoid. Um, I think virtual care is a really great option. Um, you know, just the the flexibility of it. I think that's that's our mission at Brightline is is to really be able to work with families, meet families where they are. Um, and you know, I think even just outside of Brightline, any sort of care that is going to work best for you, we want to think about the long term, right? Um, the investment that it takes because it is a process. And I think the earlier that you can get started, so it's going to be the most beneficial. Um, and it doesn't always just look like treatment. It doesn't always look like intervention. You know, it can look like education. Um, it can look like re- research, finding articles online, um, being able to just further explore these things and then talking to a professional. Um, again, uh, through Brightland, we have our coach chat, which is free. And, you know, all, all coaches are very well versed in um, all mental health concerns, but specifically with ADHD. So it's as simple as signing up and sending a chat. Hey, th- this is what's going on, right? How, you know, what's your perspective on this? What's your take on this? Um, and coaches even working with providing, you know, evidence-based research and articles that can be able to, you know, better inform. So it's such an important question. And I think, um, again, education important, but also investing in the future, investing in that long-term effect is, is that would be my, my approach or my take on that. <laughs> AJ, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you sharing your expertise on this and and your enthusiasm about your role as a, a coach in this area. Um, and we'll provide some information just a, a couple minutes here at the end of the podcast about how members of Foreign Service Benefit Plan can can take advantage of the services offered by you and your colleagues at Brightline. So thank you again. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Maddie for sharing her own experience with us and for her insight in the conversation today. And thanks again to AJ for joining us and for the team at Brightline Health for making this discussion happen. To learn more about Brightline and enroll today and begin accessing their Connect features, as well as going through an assessment to find out if coaching or care may be right for you, please visit www.hellobrightline.com slash FSBP. We'll also put a link in the show notes. Brightline health coaches and providers are considered in-network providers with the Foreign Service Benefit Plan in the U.S. Services are available only to those members located in the United States. No services are available overseas at this time. This has been AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. 
All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own and do not necessarily represent ASPA. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or the other products offered by ASPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to ASPA Talks to catch our next episode. Please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app and share feedback with us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Search for at Ask the Cares. We'll be back in a couple weeks with some episodes focused on open season. We'll talk again then. Thanks for joining us this week on AFSPA Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you'll never miss an episode. If you have any follow-up questions about the topics in this episode, join our AFSPA Live Q&A session on the last Thursday of every month. We will be streaming live on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash AFSPA Cares at 11 a.m. Eastern Time to answer your questions. Thanks for listening.